Hello, folks, and welcome to this Wednesdays in Wilson edition of our Sermons podcast. A quick word about today's message. Due to some technical difficulties, the audio is a bit rough at the beginning, but it does get better and louder at the three-minute mark. Just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Thank you for joining us, and here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. You can have a seat. We're so glad you're here for our very first Wednesday in Wilson. My name is Craig Yergo. And I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church at Grove Farm. We're so glad to have you here if you're a guest. Looking out in the crowd, I see a lot of familiar faces, and that's exciting to us. We've been eager to gather together tonight and to worship, so thank you for coming out. Um, we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. I'm going to share from the Word with you now. And then we're going to pray, have a time of extended prayer tonight, and we'll have a time to sing as well. So we're so glad you're here um, any fans of Frank Sinatra out there? Any Sinatra fans? A few? Some of you are like, who's Sinatra? Never heard of him? Well, that's a whole nother story. You know, probably among the most prolific artists of the last 75 years, Frank Sinatra. Uh, songs like Fly Me to the Moon, New York, New York, Strangers in the Night, Doo-dee-doo-dee-doo, right? One of my favorites is The Way You Look Tonight. I like that one. Probably one of Sinatra's most famous songs is My Way. You know My Way, right? Let me read you the lyrics, or at least a portion of the lyrics of My Way. Here's what Frank sings like no one else. He says, regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. He says, for what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, (laughs) sing it, if not himself, then he has not. (laughs) To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, the record shows I took the blows and did it. My way, yeah, bravado, right? It's a it's a popular song. It's actually among the most popular songs at a funeral. Some of you perhaps have a loved one who this song was in their funeral, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons people choose this song for their funerals. Um, if I may, I know it's not just I'm a fan of his, and I know he's pretty popular. But if I could just point something out about this song that I think is worth pointing out. I don't want to nitpick the song, but there's something that comes out of this. And I think it reveals something about the human heart. You know, the, the essence of my way is this sense of saying, I am the captain of my fate. It's, it's this way of saying, I alone have the right to determine what is right and wrong for me. It's, it's a way of saying, I'm the master of my soul. That's really the, the message of my way. And I think we should wrestle with this. There are some who've suggested that this is the, the anthem of hell. <laughs> that, that, that this idea that I'm the captain of, of my soul, I'm the master of my fate, I alone have the right to determine what is, what is right and wrong for me. That this, this is the antithesis, actually of what God calls on us for. And this has nothing to do with Sinatra, of course. This has everything to do with you and me, with us. 
Because we are prone, whether we know the words of the song or not, to sing the song, I did it my way. Right? We're, we're prone to this. We're prone to say, I have the right to determine what's right and wrong for me. I'm the master of my soul. I'm, I'm the captain of my fate. That's what our tendency is. Well, listen, Jesus, who, of course, we're going to look at tonight, the most compelling figure of all time. We're going to look at Jesus, and Jesus says that repentance is the key to everything. Repentance, the exact opposite posture of the my way school of thought. He says that repentance is, is the way in which we process everything that comes to us. The Bible says that no action takes more human greatness nor produces more human greatness than repentance. And so as we continue in the season of Lent, let's talk about a subject that is uncomfortable, and that's repentance. I want to take us tonight to Luke 13. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 of the gospel of Luke, chapter 13. And we're going to see here a parable and a message about repentance. Let's take a look at the first five verses. Scripture says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, unless you repent, you too will perish. Hmm. There's a couple human tragedies that are referenced here. Let me tell you a little bit about these things. If you like this background information, I'd love to share it with you. There's a couple of human tragedies here. Uh, the first involves Pilate. Pilate was incredibly insensitive to the religious traditions, traditions and convictions of the Jewish people. And so because of this, the Roman government and the Jews were constantly not getting along. There was a sense of strife. There was a sense of, of tension in the land at that time, and it was between the Jews and the Romans, and it had everything to do with the Romans' lack of respect for the ways in which the Jews worshipped. So what had happened at this time, we believe, according to history and documents that we have, is that Pilate had misappropriated some funds from the Jewish treasury, from the temple. He had taken these things and used them to build an aqueduct, well, of course, when the Jews learned of this, they revolted. They stood up, and, and they came out, and they gathered to protest. And as they gathered to protest, Pilate learned of this and sent soldiers in plain clothes. And in the midst of the protest, Pilate 
had the Jews killed, many of them. And then he took their blood, he took it into the temple, the blood of those who had been slain, and he mixed it with their sacrifices, the, the sheep and the pigeons and the doves, just to say, that's what I think of you and your religious traditions, as a way, a power move. And so, of course, the people were disturbed by this. Of course they were. You're disturbed by this. 2,000 years later. And so the people came asking Jesus a question about this. And then, of course, there's the other tragedy that's referenced. This, this tower of Siloam that toppled and fell, and there were some people who were spared. There were those who weren't. In fact, 18 people, we learn here in the Scripture, perished in that human tragedy. So these people come, and they're, they're talking to Jesus about this. They're talking about these Galileans in particular whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. But the thing about Jesus is he knew what was really on their hearts. He knew what questions were actually going in their mind, on their minds. We see this in the scriptures consistently. Jesus perceives what a person is thinking. He knows what's going on in their hearts. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He's aware of the struggles. He's aware of the weight He's aware of the concerns. He knows all of it. And he knew what question these Galileans were wrestling with in their mind. And here's what he was wondering. They were wondering, why did this happen to them? Why did this happen? Why were these people treated in this way? Why did tragedy befall these people? And they're wondering this, were those people worse sinners than we are? I mean, this is the human trap. We all tend to do this. When bad things happen to us, we wonder, what is it I have done wrong? What is God doing to me? What have I done to deserve this? When good things happen, we tend to look at other people and say, yeah, I guess I'm living right. We even will say that. I'm living right. It's good. We tend to compare ourselves to other people, whether it's good things or bad things. So the question they're asking essentially to Jesus, and he perceived this, is were the people who were killed worse sinners than those who were spared? They're asking the question, the people who suffer, are they worse sinners? Listen, good things happen to us, bad things happen to us, and they instinctively tempt us to compare ourselves to other people. Am I better or am I worse than other people? Well, Jesus, rather than dealing with Pilate's sins or with the sins of the people that the tower fell on, chose to engage the people who are addressing him about their sins. And so tonight, we have to approach this text in the very same way. Let us not think about the Galileans or those whose blood was mingled with the sacrifices or those who had a tower fell, who, that fell on them. Let us think about our own lives and the condition of our own hearts and our own sins. And, and here's where that leads us to. It leads us to repentance. That is what is at stake here, repentance. And, and the very first thing we could say is this. When bad things happen, this is obvious from the text, when bad things happen, the right response is to repent. When bad things happen, 
If you find yourself in a place where you're, you're in the midst of a struggle, you're in a season where everything feels hard. Have you ever been in that season? If you're alive, I bet you have. Those seasons can seem really long. I've been in those seasons. If you're in that season, the right response for you is to repent. We're going to talk about what repentance looks like and what it means. But absolutely is the right response. But that's not all. That's not all. That's, that's, that's not only what Jesus is saying. I want to take you to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. There's an interesting scripture in Romans 2, chapter 4, about repentance, especially in light of what we're talking about. I'm going to read to you from the NASB for this particular verse. Take a look at this. Scripture says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Do you hear that? Not knowing, being unaware, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. In other words, here's what God is saying. Not only should you repent when the tower falls on you, but you should repent when the tower doesn't fall on you. When good things happen, that should lead us to repentance. When bad things happen, that should lead us to repentance. What Jesus is showing us is this. Jesus shows, Jesus shows us that repentance is a universal need. It's something that applies to all people in all situations. Luther said it this way, Martin Luther, the great reformer. He said this. He said, all of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. In fact, we can take it a step further. Not just Martin Luther, Jesus himself. Jesus summed up his ministry. Jesus summed up his purpose in one verse. Write this down, Mark 1.15. If you want to look at a verse later on, I know I always tell you, write things down. You can write this down, Mark 1.15. Listen to what Mark 1.15 says. Jesus, the time has come, he says. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. He sums up his, his mission. He sums up his purpose in one sentence. I've come. The kingdom of God is here. It's near. And here's what you need to do. Repent and believe the good news. All of life is repentance. Repentance is a universal need. And, and we could even take it a step further. There is nothing good that will come to us unless we repent. Take a look at verse 5 again. Look at verse 5 of Luke 13. Verse 5 says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. I want to talk about two realities. Two realities of repentance, okay? And you got to hear both of these. So don't walk out when I just start talking about the first one. Hear both of these realities. The first one is this. Repentance begins with radical, radical self-evaluation of our sin condition. Repentance begins with a radical self-evaluation. In other words, you could say this. You can't repent unless you realize that you deserve to have a tower fall on you. That's essentially what Jesus is telling these people who've come to them. They want to talk about Pilate. 
They want to talk about the Tower of Siloam and these human tragedies. And he points it right back at me. He says, no, no, listen, your fate will be the same unless you repent. Because you, my friends, deserve to have a tower fall on you. This is hard. This is a hard truth. This is a hard word for all of us. I understand that because the truth is this this self-appraisal, this self-evaluation, the reason I call it radical is you have to be radically honest with yourself to examine yourself. It's really easy to trick ourselves because of the comparison trap that somehow, well, I'm better than that person at least. At least least I'm not like that guy, right? There's always someone I could find that I'm above them that they are worse sinners somehow than me. But again, we have to remember that we deserve to have a tower fall on us. There's a couple of philosophical questions I jotted down that, that get thrown around in our culture. One of them is this, why is there so much suffering in the world? I've had that thought. How many of you have been on a mission trip previously to a, to a poor nation? Several of you have. If you haven't, I hope that we'll get to go on a mission trip together. It's life-changing. When you go somewhere like Uganda, or if you go to the DR, and you visit these poor communities, one of the things, you see babies. I've seen babies crawling in the, 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 the uh, trough where human waste and excrement runs through a town with no one watching, little babies out on their own. And you wonder, how can this be, Lord? Why is there this suffering Why are people treating this way? Well, Jesus is saying this, essentially, when we ask that philosophical question, is why is there so much, why is there so little suffering in the world? The condition of the human heart is such that it's depraved to the point where none are worthy of God's holy standard. We all fall short, is what we read in the book of Romans. There's another philosophical question that's asked. And that is, why do bad things happen to good people? You heard that one? Why do bad things happen to good people? There's a book written about that. Well, the, the truth is, according to this passage, that we don't deserve a good life from him. So listen, the, the first reality of repentance is this, and this is hard. This is hard for all of us, but we have to wrap our minds around this. That repentance begins with a radical, radical self-evaluation of our sin condition. You're a sinner. I am a sinner. I am wickedly depraved. And if it wasn't so, we wouldn't see so much depravity in the world. There's constantly strife. There's constantly conflict. People are each other's throats. It seems like things are constantly disintegrating, doesn't it? And that's because we have a problem and it is sin. And repentance begins with evaluating yourself, no one else, yourself, in a radical way that leads you to the conclusion that you are thoroughly in and out sinful. You're thinking right now, gee, thanks. Well, I showed up for this. (laughs) Nothing like getting beat up on a Wednesday night. Well, of course, there's good news. Let's look at the second reality. The second reality is this. God is committed to saving you from what you deserve. He's committed to it. Look at, the, look at this parable. 
Take a look at verses 6 through through 9. I'll just read through the rest of the, the chapter, uh, this passage here. It says, Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Yeah, God is committed. You see it? God is committed to saving you from what you deserve, saving me from what I deserve, saving us from what we deserve. This, this fig tree, this parable, do you get the symbolism here? Do you see it? Okay. The tree, of course, is us. The tree is us. By the way, we could also, just as an aside, it, it could also represent Israel. Okay, there's, there's a whole other angle there, but I'm talking to, to you tonight. The tree is us. And, and not only that, the fruit is the love of God and repentance. It wasn't showing. This, free, this tree was bearing no fruit. There was no evident love of God. There was no repentance. But thankfully, there's a caretaker. And the caretaker, of course, is Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the one who stands up and says, no, no, don't cut this tree down. Save this tree. But what he's looking for still at the end of the parable is this. There's a cliffhanger. Will there be fruit? Will there be repentance? Will there be a love of God expressed through repentance? The question remains. It still hangs in the air here with us tonight. So let me ask you a question. How do you know if you've repented? I mean, you may have heard that repentance is turning in a different direction, right? That's a good illustration. I like that one. Let me give you maybe a, a, just a, a different angle on it, right? So maybe there's a, a new understanding tonight of repentance. I'm going to define repentance in two ways. It's understanding that you're a wicked sinner. That's, that's the first thing that repentance requires. Understanding that you are a wicked sinner. And then secondly, this. And also understanding that you are cherished and loved. It's both. You can't have one without the other. It's not just one. It's not just being angry at yourself. Do you do this? You mess up. You, you, you talk the wrong way to someone you care about. You handle yourself the wrong way in the workplace. You, 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 you lose it with your kids. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> no, no. Whatever it might be. And do you find yourself in this, this state of self-loathing? Do you find yourself like that? That's not repentance. Repentance is not simply being mad at yourself. That alone isn't it. It's, it's this idea of understanding, yes, I'm a wicked sinner, but also understanding that you're cherished in love. But it's not also just being entitled about what God should do for me. Well, God will forgive me. He, he always takes me back. I can always go to him and taking that. It's not simply this idea of entitlement, that somehow I'm entitled to God's grace. No, it's both. It's, it's yes, being angry at the sin. 
to the point of saying, I, I don't want to live this way any longer, and also recognizing that I am cherished and loved. The prodigal son illustrates this for us beautifully. What does the son do? He comes to his senses. You know the parable, Luke 15. He comes to his senses. And what does he do? He says, my father will take me back. I'll go back and just ask to be a hired hand, just a servant. And he's greeted with so much more. He is cherished and loved. That is repentance, my friends. Repentance is not just being angry at yourself. It's not a sense of entitlement about what God owes you. No, it's an idea that you understand fully that you're a wicked sinner, but you also understand that you are deeply and passionately cherished and loved. I want to go back to this parable. God does something just amazing here, and it's really beautiful in this parable. He says, hey, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. You know, there's this plea, give me another year. Give me another year. Just give me one more year. It's essentially a warning. It's a warning to the tree, which represents us. It's a warning that says, look, there's an urgency about repentance. There's an urgency about repentance. Don't put it off. The time is now. Just talking to a friend in Memphis this past week. And his grandfather is, is facing health concerns. And this guy is concerned that his grandfather doesn't know Jesus. And so there's urgency right now. He's pleading with his grandfather to, to trust in Christ, to commit himself to him, to surrender to Jesus. Well, we should have that urgency all the time. There's, there's a personal urgency for you. Repentance. If you, if you haven't repented, there's urgency in this. There's, there's a warning here. Hey, there's a time where, where you have another year. You've got time right now. There's grace. That's the message of this parable. It's right there for us. And so there should be some urgency, not only for you personally, but for those you love, those you work with, your neighbors, there's a sense of urgency around calling people to repentance. There's no time to tiptoe. Are there people that you love that need to repent? Who are walking around life singing, it's my way. If there are, the time, there's urgency in, in calling them to repentance. You should pray about that. We should equip you as a church to go and share the gospel with those people in a way that's clear and they can understand because there's urgency in the message. And so we have this idea of giving another year. And there's a warning in that. But there's also a hope in that. And the hope is this. No matter how many times you should have repented, no matter how late in life it is, no matter how many wrongs that have been done, if you repent now, you know what Jesus says? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. That's what he says. There's hope. He wipes your balance clean. He says, look, there's a lot of hope in this. There's urgency. You need to repent. The time is now, but there's a hope. No matter how many times you put it off, no matter how many times you say, yeah, I'll do that later. No many times your loved one has said, no, nah, I don't want to hear about that. That there is still hope that Jesus says, no, if you come and do it now, it will be fine. Be all good. Isn't that a wonderful news for us all?
Sinatra sang another song. We could, we could save Sinatra tonight. We can redeem him, I think. He sang another song I like, and that song is the song called That's Life. You know that one? Listen to the words of That's Life. Sinatra says, I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn of the king. I've been up and down and over and out, and I know one thing. Each time that I find myself flat on my face, come on, I pick myself up and get back in the race. That's life, right? He sings it. And I really like that. You know, it speaks of a race. I pick myself and get back up in the race. If you were here on Ash Wednesday, we, we read from 1 Corinthians 9.24, and Paul says there, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. We tend to think, well, that means, well, I got to be first and, you know, first out of the gate. And I got to run the perfect race. No, I think actually running the race in such a way as to get the prize absolutely includes repentance. It includes getting back up. Except you can't pick yourself back up. Sorry, Frank. Jesus picks you back up. And that's in good times and that is in bad times. So here's what I thought would be a great way for us to, to respond to the, the message of the scriptures tonight. And that's with something that's very familiar to all of us if you're a part of Christ Church at Grove Farm. On a regular basis in our 9 a.m. service, we recite something. We read something together called the Prayer of Repentance. It comes from the Book of Common Prayer. We're going to put it on the screens just behind me right now. Now, here's what I'd, I'd like you to do, okay? I'll get out of the way so you can do this. I would encourage you to either write this down. I'll give you a second to do that. Or you can take your phone and take a picture of it. And the reason I want you to do this, I would hope that you would return to this prayer of repentance several times a week during the season of Lent. Hey, maybe it'll extend beyond that. That you would come back to this prayer of repentance and that you would sing this song to God as a part of of your relationship with him, that repentance in good times and bad times would be a part of the rhythm of your life. The rhythm of our life as a church. I love that we have this as a part of our 9 a.m. service. Not only that, as you take a picture of it, as you write it down, would you do this for a moment? Let's just consider the weight of these words. Take a moment to do them. We're going to pray this together, but first I want you to consider the weight of these words. Perhaps there's a part that stands out to you today. Maybe it's what you've done. Maybe it's what you've left undone. Maybe it's your dealing with your neighbors. Maybe it's the fact that you've, you've loved everything else other than God. In closing, let's recite this together. Would you read with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, 
to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.